Rumcasters! We're back with another episode of the Rumcast, the podcast that talks about all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. I'm John Gullah, and on the other line with me, as always, is Will Hookinga. And Will, I know we talked, we were both recently uh, had our second dose and are vaccinated now, so uh, That's right. with that in mind, how's, uh, how's the rum life treating you lately? It's good. I'm actually uh, I'm getting ready to go on my first trip out of town, so about to pack my bags up later this evening and nice. i was just telling you i had my first haircut in person at a salon <laughs> so um i'm thanking my wife for her year long of service and cutting my hair uh, and <laughs> and but gratefully returning to the care of a professional um she did a great job but you know it's 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 nice uh, to, yeah. to go back in i'll, I'll i used to pampered. complain about getting yeah. haircuts and now i'll always look forward to it so did she use like a floby or like one of those machines that like no she up? No. she used a combination of clippers and scissors so you know she <laughs> she it was pretty legit she did a good job but i know yeah. she's she's relieved at not having to spend an hour doing that so yeah my wife does my hair also by the way just so you know, <laughs> yeah. for those who may not have seen me, I don't have much hair left on my head at this point. I'm uh, lacking in that department. As hey, you might that's, say, but. that's a good thing about it. You don't have to worry about that as much. So there you go. <laughs> as far as rum goes, I'm doing well. And I wanted to ask you, have you ever had a moment where you feel like the heavens just kind of part and the rum gods smile upon you? Has that ever happened to you? I think I get what you're saying. Like where you hear like, you know, the angels, oh. Exactly. And it's yeah. just, you see, it, I, I think that's happened to me a couple of times, maybe in a store where, where like, you know, you the see unexpected a find. Exactly. The dusty sometimes or just mm-hmm. something you wanted. Yeah. So I had that experience uh, over the weekend. I was actually in preparation of this trip. I always, uh, most of the time, my, my parents will dog sit for us and they live about two hours south of me. And so I'll meet them halfway between their house and ours, uh, pass our dog Penny off to them, and uh, she'll, she'll go on her merry way with them. And since I was down about an hour south of Nashville, there's a liquor store I've mentioned on the podcast before called Elixir Spirits that is in a, a suburb of Nashville. It's about 45 minutes away called mm-hmm. Spring Hill. They've got a great rum selection. They have a really passionate owner who cares about getting interesting rums and stuff like that. So nice. I always make it a point if I'm down that way to stop an elixir. And so I do that. I go into the store just expecting to kind of browse. And I'm looking at the rum section. And uh, a, a guy comes up to me and says, hey, are you into you know, are you into rum? And I was like, yeah, actually, I, I really am. And I had, a, I had a mask on. So, you know, he couldn't see exactly what I looked like. And we start talking a little bit about rum. Mm-hmm. And I ask if they still have some transcontinental rum line releases in that I had seen. And he goes, wait a second, you're, you're Will, right? And what happened was, uh, th- this guy's name's Andrew. He and yeah. I had been messaging via Facebook Messenger. Uh, okay. We have some mutual friends here in Nashville in, in the burgeoning rum community. And we'd been trying to meet up at some point. I, I didn't recognize him, but he happened to recognize me. And maybe so that, by your and, voice? Is that? Yeah, I guess, yeah. 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 Uh, I think he's listened to the podcast. So mm-hmm. maybe it was the, the rich tones of my voice. But anyway, he was actually there. And uh, another friend of, of mine named Alex from Friends of Rum Tennessee was on his way to the store and they were going to do a little tasting of something very special. And again, keep in mind, I had no idea this was happening. I just happened to stop in. So this is what I'm getting at where it felt like the rum gods were smiling upon me. And then what they happened to be 
tasting that day was uh, something that I was not expecting to be able to try because it was so limited and quite high priced. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I knew it would take some sort of special set of circumstances for me to be able to try these rums. Okay. It was the Appleton Hearts Collection. Ah, yes. Uh, so, now I'm insanely jealous yeah. because I've been wanting to try that. Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, like many others, I, I, Appleton, Appleton kind of did like a media blitz where they sent out these really nice sample bottles to, you know, several several people throughout the, the online, you know, rum landscape. Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. online, but, you know people who you know, write yeah. about rum and stuff like that. And so I saw the bottles and I was like, man, I want to try these so bad. And, and just some background for people, if, if you're not familiar with the Appleton Hearts collection. So this was a collaboration between Appleton and Vellier, where Appleton released um, three different 100% pot still distillates um, from varying years. There was yeah, a, like a 19- vintages. Yeah. yeah, there was a 1999, uh, a 1995, and a 1994. So 21-year-old rum, 25-year-old rum, 26-year-old rum, all at cask strength. So this is the kind of thing that, like, if you're into Appleton rum, it's like you always wanted to try it like mm-hmm. this, or at least I did, you know? Yeah. Um, because, I, you know, I, I've had, you know, Appleton 21 and stuff like that, which is a, a wonderful rum, but, you know, it's, it's a little on the lower ABV side. Um, right. It's, it's I, I don't believe that one is 100% pot still. I know all the other, you know, uh, Appleton 8, Appleton 12 and stuff like that. It's a blend of pot and column. So getting this 100% pot still Appleton rum bottled at cask strength is like, and, and on top of that, you know, 21-year-old, 25-year-old, 26-year-old, it's like, oh my God, yeah. like this is going to be an experience. And um, again, these were these were little sample bottles that were very generously shared uh, with me during this tasting. So it was just a little bit of each one. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to pull away any definitive tasting notes or anything like that based yeah. on just this brief experience, this brief right. encounter with these rums. But all, all I can say is, I had I did them in reverse order, so the ninety nine, then the ninety five, then the ninety four. Um, I had the ninety nine. I was like, man, this is really good. I like this. I got to the ninety five, and it was like w- went up like three more levels. Just like, oh my god, this is in the realm of like best rum. S- ever? S- some of the best I've ever had. Wow. Um, and ninety four was was right there with the ninety five as well. I'd have to go back between like those two were in the same tier for me. Yeah. I'd have to you know kind of go back and compare them over multiple tastings and stuff like that to really sort out my feelings. But the point is that all my expectations for what the experience would be like with those rums uh, Mm -hmm. was was met and and possibly exceeded. It just felt so special to be able to taste that. So I I guess what I'm, what I'm taking away from this and trying to communicate is if you have a chance to try these rums um, you know, I'm sure maybe there's some bars out there that got their hands on some bottles and maybe you'll be in a situation where you can pay a little more than you usually would to get you know a glass of that at a rum bar or something like that i would 100 percent do it um, so it's, it's worth it yeah absolutely and i mean if you can get a full bottle and and you've got mm-hmm. the money yeah do, don't even think about it like just do it because <laughs> I, that's where i'm at with it uh I, I mean i don't know if i'm you know if it's on the secondary market i i'm, I'm just i'm not really at a point in my life where i 
am going to spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of rum or anything like that. But yeah, yeah. you know, if it's list price, store price, hundred percent, don't even think about it. But so that's what I'm, I'm still glowing from that experience. <laughs> and uh, I, I know you have a, 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 a recent tasting that you want to share as well. So tell me about it. I do. Before I get to that though, hold on. I wanted to say, first of all, I haven't seen these in Florida at all yet. Yeah. Like at all, at all. So not even an opportunity. I think I want to remember there's, there's a, there's one member of the Florida Rum Society. He actually has a, a video review channel, uh, Jamey Will's uh, Ready Set Rum. Oh, I've he, seen he, Ready Set Rum. Yeah, yeah. He he may have them. Uh, Jamey, if you if you are listening, we may have to get together because I want to say I remember you might have brought some of those back from Jamaica. And now that Will has tried them, you know this <laughs> means I have to try them soon, or else I will just burn up of envy. Yeah. So yeah, we've got to find a way to, to, to do that. But what I was going to ask you about the Appleton is for me, I've tried uh, a, a good amount of the Appleton line, uh, including up to Appleton Joy, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah, nice. Uh, See what you did there. Uh, yeah. But they all have a very kind of a distinct profile uh, amongst even Jamaican rums. So the kind of like Appleton signature. Yes. Yeah. It, do you find that in in the Hearts collection? Did you I, find I it did. There? I did. Huh. And that was one of the things that was so special to me because it was it was simultaneously, wow, I've never had Appleton like this, and at the same time, there's distinctly. Appleton. This is this is distinctly like I, I taste yeah. that Appleton signature, mm-hmm. but in a like surrounded by stuff I've I've never experienced before from yeah. this distillery. So that was like wow. that was where it, it felt just like a everything kind of coming together in a mm-hmm. in a really beautiful way, and that's what was so so fun about yeah. it. You were you had your good question. question. Please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Well, my my I have a rerun. So all right, I, we can, we can talk about my rerun, but you know, it pales in comparison to to Appleton Hearts uh, in terms of its rarity and what would you say special? Well, no, this look, I like this rum. So let let me, let's start with with what this is, and and I'll I'll give you some uh, kind of clues as to what it is and then i'll reveal so this is a uh an aged rum from south america okay and it is uh just 40 percent. so it's a standard 40 percent release it's no age statement and it's uh roughly i want to say about 30 dollars or so for the bottle and uh it's a column still rum that i i really find that we we tend to uh talk a lot about some of the other uh i don't want to even use the word styles of rum because that's problematic and we talk about that but we we haven't shared too much i think in the latin american tradition of rum yeah Uh, and so it wasn't an intentional pick in that way but i went back to it in in my bar of bottles and and was kind of like you know what i i missed that one so let me Mm -hmm. go back to that and uh, I really, really still enjoy it. It is, drum roll, brrr, Pampero Anniversario. Oh, you told me about exclusiva. this. Wow, the yes. color on that is insanely dark. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's added color, to be bluntly honest well, with yeah, you. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it has yeah. to be. <laughs> it, I like, mean, it, it looks like the, the color of almost like like Crucian Blackstrap, kind of, well, where it's like I, yeah, but I think midnight that's also, black. Yeah, it is. But I think that's because of the bottle design and shape. Okay. What they've done is they put this like squatty bottle that almost feels like it's half. It almost looks like a 375 milliliter. Mm. But this is still a full 750. All right. And uh, unless they're cheating us, I didn't measure. But the because of its kind of compact, almost a spherical shape, mm-hmm. I think that probably makes the, the rum look darker in the bottle. Although I will say even in the glass, it's got a really dark color. Yeah, uh, it's like it. that almost like Coca-Cola kind of. 
almost Coca Coca Cola is is spot on, actually. Yes, but what I I really enjoy about this rum is it's it's um it's a rum that is for a column distilled. It's got a lot of flavor. Reminds me a little bit of Cuban rums that I've had or Dominican rums in mm. in the same again tradition. It reminds me interestingly less so of another venezuelan rum which you've talked about which is santa teresa yeah uh-huh. so although i think there's some similarities there i i actually greatly prefer this one to the santa teresa Interesting. Uh, and uh, I like the profile. Something in the profile and the balance of this is really, really nice. It's got a, a little bit of a buttery kind mm-hmm. of uh, nose and in the, in, in the taste as well. Um, but then it's also got a really nice balance of spice, a little bit of chocolate, and I think coffee is what I get from this. A little coffee undertone. Mm. Do you know if it's sweetened at all? I, so there's been a lot online and I did a little bit of research to try to find out to see if there's been any definitive. Mm-hmm. There's There's been people who say, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in hydrometer tests have not found it above like, you know, four, uh, is it grams per liter or yeah. whatever it is? Yeah. So the four grams per liter was the hydrometer test, which most people, again, this is, we wade into this conversation of what that means, but a lot of people would say that that's possible, just barrel residual stuff and doesn't necessarily indicate that added sugar is, but mm-hmm. it could have been. The point there is if it, it, if it has been sugar, it has been added, it's not a lot. So it doesn't it's, come it's, off to you as being overly sweet. Correct, which okay. I don't really enjoy. Very sweet. Now, I would say it's sweeter than Santa Teresa. And okay. I believe for sure Santa Teresa, if we remember, I remember recall them or you saying or both of them saying they do not add any sugar to that one. Yeah. That- and that's another brand that I've, I've, you know, read different things about. And mm-hmm. I don't really, it's always tasted a little bit sweet, but not offensively mm-hmm. so um, to yeah. me. So. That's interesting, though, because that that rum, you know, which we've talked about before, because it's one that I think a lot of people experience when they're coming into rum early Mm -hmm. on and, and, you know, it kind of pulls them in. And I had that experience of being somewhat underwhelmed the first time I had it. And then my opinion improving improving a little bit over time. Still not something that like totally blows me away, but like sure. I see I see what the appeal is. So it's interesting that that you have it kind of, you know, ahead of that one in that department. Yeah, I, I really enjoy this one. And I, I think as a South American rum, it's one that people should try if they haven't uh, done so already. Going into it, knowing it's on the sweeter side if you're used to the the, the Barbados rums or, or Jamaicans or Martiniques, uh, because there, there there may be a little bit of added sugar in there. Um, I, I, again, I wish we knew that a little bit more transparently. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be nice. We'll be honest. But the point there is it's still not a dessert rum. This is not the Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva. It's interesting because if I was just judging it based on how it looked, that that yeah. would have been my expectation just because it's so dark. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll have to, I, I'm intrigued now. I'll have to try that sometime and, and kind of see, see, see what I think about it. Yeah, I, I I really would recommend this, and uh, it, it's absolutely a world apart from again the rest of the Caribbean kind of rum profile or or others. But it's worthwhile to investigate uh, as a column distilled quality product. I, I really do think this is a quality product they're putting together, and and people will enjoy it. Well, with that said, we should probably talk about what's coming up on the show today. So we had a little bit of a curveball in that we had an interview scheduled uh, with with a 
Caribbean rum producer that I won't reveal quite yet because the interview is still going to happen, but it, it got moved at the last minute. So mm-hmm. kind of threw our publishing schedule off a little bit. And, and we wanted to still be able to share some, uh, you know, some kind of content featuring rum producers uh, with you all this week, rather than just having us ramble on about rum ourselves for, for another hour. So <laughs> I, I had just done a live stream recently for Zavi.co which was, I've been doing this kind of series as, as kind of a collaboration between that and my website, American Rum Report, uh, the series of what I call roundtable discussions. So I get different distillers or brands from across the U.S. and put them in a room together, we a, a virtual room, of course, and <laughs> there's some topic and we just talk about it. And, you know, you get to hear kind of distillers, producers, founders, you know, discussing this stuff together. It's been really fun. And we just did one just a couple of weeks ago that was with three producers who are all growing their own sugarcane to make rum. And I, I, I kind of picked producers from all across the, the country uh, and territories as well, because um, one of the producers I've mentioned on the show before, and actually Frank Ward mentioned on his interview in the Rumcast. So there's a little bit of Rumcast connection here. Frank Ward consulted at this distillery, uh, San Juan Artisan Distillers in Puerto Rico. Um, Pepe Alvarez, the, the founder there, came on. Uh, Eric Vonk from Richland Rum in Georgia came on, mm. and Steve Jefferson from Kuleana Rum Works in Hawaii, uh, the Big Island, which which may be one that, that people, I, I actually think people are probably less familiar with all of these producers, given that they're based in the U.S., but... Mm-hmm. Kuleana is kind of in the vein of Kohana, which we uh, spoke about on a previous episode. I don't want to, you know, conflate them as the same because they're different right. distilleries, but doing a kind of similar thing with kind of heirloom Hawaiian cane varietals and stuff like that. They have different approaches. But anyway, I got them in a room and I really just wanted to get to the crux of what is it like? Because it's, it's already hard enough to start any kind of craft distillery in the U.S., then when you want to layer on top of that, starting a rum distillery in the U.S., that's another challenge just because, you know, rum is misunderstood. It's it's mm-hmm. not as popular of a spirit as something like whiskey. And then you layer on top of that, these guys all also wanted to grow sugarcane and run farms on top of that, um, some of which are in regions like Georgia, for example, which is a place that I think most people don't even realize that sugarcane can grow there. And it really is on kind of the northern extreme of being able to grow sugarcane. And uh, Eric gets into that and, and, you know, how they deal with it and everything. But I, I thought it was really interesting just to hear about like the challenges, the different perspectives that these guys have growing this unique, or I was going to say growing this unique type of rum. <laughs> They're not growing the rum. They grow the sugar cane and use you it know, to make in rum. In a roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's as close as you can get to growing rum, yeah. I would suppose. So um, it, it's really, I, I really enjoyed getting to hear them ask each other questions and stuff like that. And um, I, 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 so what we did was I took the audio from that live stream and chopped it up uh, into a podcast episode. So I think, you know, you can expect from it something similar to how our interviews usually go with only the, the, the sad reality that it was just me doing the interviewing. And so you don't get John's excellent questions. And of course, um, no rapid fire since oh. John was not there to do it. So that well. is the one downside. You're kind of stuck with me for this interview. But I, I certainly learned a lot from it, and I think, uh, especially if you're, you know, going to be in any of these areas anytime soon—Hawaii, uh, the Southeast, or Puerto Rico. 
um, this is, you know, a great way to kind of learn about what these uh, distilleries are doing. Yeah, I love the Zavi.co sessions and uh, thank oh, you guys thank you. Do, do a wonderful job with that. I hadn't got to see this one or listen to this one. Uh, so I'm excited to be yeah. a listener. I hope I don't disappoint you now. <laughs> you know, I hope so too. <laughs> I'm expecting a lot here. And uh, no, it's it, so it, it'll be uh, fun for me to listen to. And I think fun for, for our listeners to also. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Let's do it. If you're listening to our show right now, there are six words about rum that are likely to catch your eye. Single barrel, cask strength, and no additives. Those six words are the whole premise of the single cask rum releases from Holmes Key, the sponsor for this episode of the Rumcast. Holmes Key seeks out the world's best rums and releases them unadulterated and at cask strength in limited editions. Check out their website at homeskey.com to learn more about their new 2021 releases, distilled at places like Foursquare in Barbados, Demerara Distillers in Guyana, Travelers Liquors in Belize, and Clarendon Distillery in Jamaica. Also, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for more exciting 2021 releases coming up soon. You can find out more at homeskey, that's H-O-L-M-E-S-C-A-Y.com. Now back to the show. The first thing, you know, I, I, I alluded a little bit to just how unique, you know, your situations are. Um, not a lot of people doing what you're doing. Uh, I'd love for each of you to kind of give some brief background on, on what pushed you uh, to do this in the first place, to start your distillery and to grow sugarcane and, and use that for making rum. So, Steve, maybe I'll pick on you uh, at first if you want to jump in and, and give us the backstory. Yeah, great. Um, again, thanks a lot. This is super exciting for us. Um, for us, it started on a complete accident, if you will. I mean, it was we had no idea. Um, so we were sailing around in the Caribbean. Um, we'd left Hawaii when when the when the in two thousand six um, when we figured the housing market was going to crash, and we didn't want to get caught in a crash in Hawaii because it's not that fun. So we were fortunate enough to have just enough money to buy a sailboat and squeak out of there. Um, and so it was a big risk. We had a one and three year old and we were just sailing around in the Caribbean. And one day we went up to Martinique and, and we heard there was a sugarcane farm up there and we thought, oh, that's just like home. And so we went up there and we heard they're serving rum. So we're like, OK, cool. And we made our way up there and it was beautiful. Um, and we, you know, when you're living on a boat, you want to live on a house. When you're living in a house, you want to live on a boat. So <laughs> we're looking at this going, oh, my gosh, you know, this is where we probably we want to settle in a place just like this. Right. The farm was beautiful. and then. It was Deposit Distillery, if anyone's ever been there. And and we were just sort of struck with how beautiful it was. Um, and it's very similar to Hawaii. Um, and then we tried the rum. And I was blown away. I'd never had rum with that much sort of character and flavor before. And that was rum agricole, which as everybody knows, it's rum made from fresh sugarcane juice. And I was just, wow, what is this? And uh, and within five minutes, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we got to move back to Hawaii and start this because this is unbelievable. And that's basically how we got started. Excellent. Um, Pepe, why don't, why don't you jump in and, and tell us how, how, how San Juan Artisan Distillers uh, and then that, that big field of sugarcane you have behind it came to be? Sure. Thank you, Will. Thanks again for uh, getting this together. So, well, our, our story is very similar to Steve. Uh, I, I was, I've been a landscaper all my life. I got out of high school in 76, and there was a, a horrible economic depression in the island. I couldn't find a job anywhere. I needed a, a day job and I would study at night. I had worked two summer jobs previously as a landscaper, a gardener, 
it was a perfect fit for me. I grew up in front of the ocean in San Cristo in Puerto Rico on the beach. And basically, I, all I did since I was eight was surf and do water sports and be in the water all day long. So I got into landscaping because I could go surf whenever the waves were good and shut the shop, shop down and I'd, I could go surfing. So I, I grew up in that and uh, started the land, landscaping business. And one thing led to another. A lot of people started calling and they needed landscaping services. And the, the business grew incredibly. I bought one farm, then another farm, then another farm. All of a sudden, I didn't have any time to surf anymore. So, about ten years, I did. We did that for about. I did that for about thirty-five years, and it was a blessing. I never imagined that you know a surfer from Ocean Park, you know, would, would get so far. So, uh, all of a sudden, the economy in Puerto Rico with the, in two thousand eight with the bank recession all over the world. Puerto Rico has been depressed economically for a while and there was there was no work so i i needed to reinvent myself and do something different and i was looking for something fun to do uh and something that would stir passion in me and do something special and i looked at different alternatives and i finally i traveled to martinique as steve, steve did and i did uh the, the trend route, happening here uh, route, route to Rome that they have which is amazing and my wife and I visited about five or six distilleries in five or six days. We stayed there and we stayed at this little beautiful boutique hotel that was owned by one of the distillery owners that I had contacted, the people from Nissan, who are making incredible oh, rooms. Yeah, very and good. He referred me to other, uh, we basically were just, you know, uh, window shopping and, and steering an idea. And we fell in love with the concept and saw the potential that this had in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico being so well known and so famous worldwide for its rums and in the Caribbean that it felt like a like a perfect fit to create a special distillery that produced a something similar to what we had experienced, the same as Steve did in, in Martinique. And it would be something unique. We wouldn't be coming into this big market that has traditional molasses produced runs, it would, it would be a, a very difficult, very difficult to compete in that world. So I, having the experience that I had with the landscaping business that I grew, saw, I threw, grew plants, sugar, uh, palm trees, and we, we produced everything. And sugarcane is agraminia, is from the family of the grass uh, family. So I had been growing grass for 30 years and I thought it would be similar. How, long, how wrong was that? It's a totally different animal. Uh, it's affected by wind, by excess water, by this, by that. But sugarcane, you basically mow like a sod, and it grows back up. It's part family of the bamboo family as well, which are graminias as well. So we decided. I decided to go forward with it and start to reinvent, reinvent myself and started substituting the planting of the sugarcane of, of our grass, our sod, and our plants, because there was no business going on with, with sugarcane. And little by little started assembling the distillery and, and uh, different opportunities surged that uh, distillery that was available owned by a French company, spirits company in Trinidad became available. And they, it was a complete French distillery that had uh, these amazing Chalvinier uh, pot stills, uh, three of them, and a bunch of tanks and fermenters and everything. So I basically flew down there, was able to buy everything, packed everything, loaded everything in a truck and sent everything to Puerto Rico and, and started assembling 
the distillery and it's been basically a, a lot, a lot of work. I never imagined I'd be working as hard at this point in my life, 10 years later, but we're having more fun than ever and it, it's really incredible. Are you getting any surfing in these days? I have two longboards uh, <laughs> in my garage and last time I went surfing, I almost got drowned. So my you know, my family said, we think you should take it easy with the surfing. Stick, stick to the rum, stick to the yeah, rum. We don't want to lose it yet. So. Um, Eric, so I think you've actually been doing this the longest out of everyone. Richland, did you start in like the, the late 90s? Am I remembering correctly? 1999. Yep. So, so it's also interesting just because I think when people think about sugarcane, they think about tropical locations. I think Hawaii and Puerto Rico, you know, people see it fitting in there. People don't don't realize as much, I think, places like Georgia, um, where sugarcane has grown for a long time. So how, how did you put that together with rum? Um, how did how did it all get started? As you know, I, uh, I, I grew up in Holland and uh, had a grandfather, my mom's dad, had traveled around the world in search of good rums. He had this huge collection of rums from all around the world and with one thing in common, they were all agricoles. They were all made from fresh cane. And uh, as an impressionable teenager, he explained that, that that way you get a very different product than what you mm -hmm. make rum from molasses. And um, that always left me with an idea that, hey, if there's ever an opportunity to grow some cane, I'm, I'm going to do it and make rum. And uh, so many decades passed, and uh, all of a sudden I found myself living in Atlanta, Georgia. And even after a number of years living in Atlanta, I had no clue that Georgia, the southern part of the state, had ever produced rum. And one day driving here in this area, south, southern Georgia, I saw there was a little stand along the road and a guy selling sugarcane syrup. And I was driving by and I thought, hmm, sugarcane syrup. And all of a sudden, I said, sugarcane syrup? <laughs> Wait a second, yeah. And, uh, and, and went to him and said, hey, sugarcane, uh, where, where, where do you get that? <laughs> And right behind this guy, there's this patch of sugarcane. And he looks like me, like, oh, there's this guy, you know, probably from the big city. And he goes, uh -huh. um, pointing at the sugarcane behind him. So that's how I found out that, that southern Georgia, uh, it's, it's as far north as you can grow cane. But it, it, it does, uh, some varieties do actually very well here. And what has been interesting is that I found out later that... Um, the varieties that do well here in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, some of them have been introduced by Dutch immigrants from Indonesia uh, in oh, the 1800s. And there's a variety that I now grow called POJ. And a lot of people always ask, what POJ? What does that stand for? It's actually Dutch. Proofstation Oost Java, testing station Eastern Java. Wow. And that was a variety that was uh, developed there, taken by Dutch immigrants here to southern Georgia. And it it's, has spread all over the southern part of the southeastern states. That's how it <laughs> I, I love <laughs> that. It's, it's interesting because I, I spent a lot of my childhood in North Alabama. And it, there's a similar dynamic where you go to the southern part of the state and you'll see things like people selling sugarcane syrup and we're having little pack, uh, patches of sugarcane. But I was totally unaware of all of that um, being in the north part of the state. So, yeah, it's kind of fascinating how there's um, 
little traces of that kind of throughout the Southeast, if you know where to look. So I want to give everyone a little bit of a sense of what production, the sugarcane production looks like for each of you. I've, I've pulled up some pictures, but I'd love if you could just kind of give people a sense of where your farms are relative to your distillery, um, how much sugarcane you're growing and what what production kind of looks like throughout the calendar year for you. Yeah, i uh, be happy to. Uh, the distillery is in a small town called Richland. The town has been named after the brand, right? At the, no, oh, no, no, no. That's the other <laughs> you get the other uh, way around. <laughs> but um, the farm is uh, about five miles outside Richland. Um, we have um, a larger farm there, but we grow about 300 acres in, uh, in Cane. Wow primarily POJ and some uh, varieties that go back to what is called Georgia red or purple ribbon varieties. The, um, the yields are not very good. As far as that's concerned, I'm going to be very jealous of what Steve and, and Pepe are, are going to share with us. But because of the climate environment, have, we're, we're way north of the, of the tropics, mm-hmm. uh, we can harvest once a year. Uh, usually we start around Thanksgiving, late November, okay, uh, and er into mid-December. Late December, early January, we can have frost. It doesn't have happen every year, but it can have. We can have frost, and uh, as as we all know, frost kills sugarcane instantly. We usually try to get everything in by early December, and. Um, have therefore a very different rhythm than uh, sugarcane growers and rum makers have in a tropical environment where you can just harvest as you need and continue to have uh, work year round. Right. We have to do everything, condense everything in one harvest season, crush everything, uh, which is a, a, a monumental task in uh, just a handful of weeks. And then we condense it to syrup. We, we heat it up and let water evaporate until we are at about 80 bricks or so in, uh, in sugar content. And that's it. Without any additives or anything else, it's just heated and condensed to syrup. And it's the syrup that we store throughout the year and deplete until the next harvest season. The right. yields are poor. Um, we produce uh, about a barrel and a half or so out of an acre. Wow. Uh, and uh, so you're looking at um, 400-ish, 450 uh, barrels of uh, rum out of what we uh, grow. Wow. And, and when, when you talk about the yields, I know obviously you're working with on a condensed calendar. Um, so, so that kind of puts a limit on how much you can get out. Is the environment you're growing in, does it also diminish like the, the amount of juice you would expect from the cane as well? Yes, um, the, the the cane doesn't get as tall. Uh, okay. We uh, maybe eight to ten feet is uh, is, is as, as much as we get uh, in tropical areas. It can be much more. Uh, also, the size of the stalk remains therefore remains limited. By the way, we we usually plant plant in August September, okay. uh, just enough time for the uh, the planted stalk to develop roots. And then by the, the cold season, it, it, it stops growing, of course, whatever has sprout, been sprouted out, like small sprouts like you see in the picture, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes freezes, but uh, the roots will survive. 
And then as soon as the temperatures go up and the soil gets warmer in February, March, it, boom, it, it grows. So you have an about 14 months growing season like you, like you have in the, in the tropics. The sh number of gallons per acre, it would be far less than you would see in uh, okay. tropical areas. Uh, I would say we yield about 25 to 3,000 gallons per, per acre. But the sugar content is high. It's a very sweet, high uh, sugar environment. I've had a lot of support from the uh, USDA. Uh, they have a uh, station in uh, Louisiana oh, right. uh, where they have a couple of agronomists who are specialized in sugarcane. And uh, the interaction with them over the years, over the decades, has been very intensive. We've had a lot of, lot of help from them. We've, we've seen comparative tables in varieties and in regions, and seen that the region where we're in, uh, running from Louisiana up to basically into South Carolina, along the coast, has high tends to have most varieties tend to have relatively high sugar content well steve i'd love to go to you next um give us kind of the lay of the land of what things look like uh for you at, at kuleana and in terms of your sugarcane production okay great we're on the northern tip of the big island um so in this photo here this you is, can actually this is such a i just like every time i see this photo it looks like made up um or something that's not real with the ocean <laughs> it feels right made back up, there. To be honest, when <laughs> every morning you know when you show up it's like we don't i don't go there every morning but you know every morning that i do go there it's kind of a magical feeling yeah um so this is on the very northern tip of the big island so this uh just barely off to the right by that clump of sugarcane off to the right if you go out to the ocean, that's Upolo Point. So that's the northern tip of the Big Island. Okay. Um, and that island you see in the background is Maui. Um, and that's the volcano, Paleakala. And so we're, we're at the closest point to Maui. So it's just a gorgeous view. And because we're on the point, we actually have probably around 250 degree view of the ocean. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's really cool. Um, so to your right and your left are also ocean views. And this is old sugarcane land. Um, this was planted, they started planting around mid 1800s. And then it was a uh, sugarcane farm for Kohala Sugar Company until 1975 when it shut down. Okay. Um, and the very last sugar left, commercial sugar left Hawaii in 2016, it shut down on Maui across the way there. And so basically between 75 and, and 2016, it, it didn't make sense to grow sugar on the Big Island anymore. And of course, you know, we hatched this idea in 2007 um, and started getting, basically learning how to make rum, came back to Hawaii, bought a little teeny still, and and we're literally cutting sugarcane from the side of the road from, from <laughs> leftover pieces of, uh, you know, because great swaths of the island were, were harvested in sugarcane. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would take it and, and we'd have names like Pepeekeo Feral or Hamakua Wild, you know, and we just literally like grabbing whatever sugarcane was growing on the side of the road and crushing it and making rum with it, trying to figure out what we're doing. And then we heard about this guy that was getting his PhD, who was also from Maui, and he's getting his PhD in the agriculture, it's called the Hawaiian Field System. And what we basically learned was a couple of things. One is, is that sugarcane started in Papua New Guinea 10,000 years ago, that 
the Polynesians and the Micronesians before them were were spreading it around the Pacific Ocean for at least 3,000 years and taking it with them wherever they went as they would settle new islands. And that most interestingly for us, a thousand years ago, the first Polynesian wayfinders discovered and settled Hawaii and brought with them probably two or three varieties of sugarcane with them, most likely from Tahiti, along with other plants and some animals. And they basically settled what is now Hawaii. Um, And from those two or three varieties, over about 800 years in complete isolation, they developed... 40, about 40 different varieties between, wow. you know, between 34 and 40. And when we learned that, we had already committed to making rum agricole from fresh juice. And that, yeah, there's a good picture there's, of it. Thank yeah, you. some that's of the about, varieties, yeah. That's about 10 or 11 varieties. And you could see, you know, the, what would happen is they would mutate. And obviously, these are beautiful. And so yeah. when they mutated, they said, oh, my gosh, that's gorgeous. And then they would cut it, isolate it, let it grow into its own plant, and then you know, come up with stories and uses for it. We call it mo'olelo in Hawaii. And it became culturally, you know, significant plants. And there was this huge, super successful field system happening, you know, if you will, you know, while the Europeans are in the dark ages, Polynesia is thriving. Mm. Um, And this was all sort of deduced via um, DNA. And so he ended up getting his PhD at Stanford from what he learned. But we were we were just, uh, we couldn't believe what a good gift this was because now instead of making, you know, rum from just some sugarcane, we realized that this is actually indigenous plants to Hawaii that are unique only in Hawaii. Mm. Um, and to our great, you know, and, and, and this is a really good group because I think all of us sort of are coming from the same place where we just want rum to be incredible. And we all had our own separate experiences with it and we're just like we've got to you know really elevate rum so that's what i'm super proud of this group for doing and 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 there's another company i saw i think it's tyler from kohana yep. coincidentally they were basically doing the same thing that we were um and they came up with the virtually the same idea so they're also growing these same varieties of sugarcane on oahu and they're making um, rum agricole as well and it's funny because we did the farm, we did the distillery, and we did the restaurant out of pure ignorance. We just assumed you had to have all those things if you wanted to have <laughs> a really good rum. And then after we get started, we realized that's taking on a whole lot. You know, you don't really just need to bit. do all those things <laughs> off the get-go. But it didn't matter because we were so excited about about really just trying to make this, you know, world-class spirit that we just, we did everything that we thought we should do. And, and it, you know, it turns out it's obviously quite a bit of work, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, and it's really fun for people in Hawaii because this is another way that we get to really share something that's truly uniquely Hawaiian. I mean, these yeah. are literally the plants that, that, that helped form the culture of Hawaii and we get to share it with the rest of the world. And so, you know, that's, that's what's super fun for us about this. Yeah, and I, I want to circle back to a lot of what you guys are saying, and we're already getting some some good questions in. Um, but first, Pepe, I want I want to give people kind of a a snapshot of what things look like um, for you guys down in San Juan. So um, give us give us the overview of, of kind of what what production looks like, your sugarcane production, where it is relative to the distillery, and and what what does it look like throughout the calendar year for you in terms of harvesting and stuff like that. Sure. Thank you. Well, we started the, our project in around 2010, uh, started to collect Puerto Rican heirloom varietals that were developed in Puerto Rico 
during the Puerto Rican heyday uh, sugarcane production. Puerto Rico had over 350,000 acres of sugarcane planted. There were over wow. 25 sugarcane mills uh, throughout the island. There was a, a train that transported sugarcane from not only the plantation and mill owners, but the, there were other plantation owners that produced the sugarcane. And the train would stop at their farm and they would load it and then it was carried over to the mill. After uh, Puerto Rico was a, mentioned was a fifth largest producer of sugarcane in the world. And it was, a, it was every, every family in Puerto Rico was touched by, by this tradition, by, by the history of, of sugarcane. Every family in Puerto Rico was touched by it. It was the most important thing that was going on in the island at the moment. Puerto Rico was a, was agricultural based. Uh, we produced tobacco, coffee, sugarcane sure, uh, sure was a main crop and it was really, really big. Puerto Rico got to a point where it couldn't compete any longer with, uh, producers from much larger countries and that had, didn't have the standards of a U.S. territory. Puerto Rico became a U.S. territory in 1898. And so we had by, having to comply with all the regulations and rules and on all that, uh, it, it simply was impossible to compete. So little by little, the industry went, started to die and it was impossible to compete till it disappeared in the early nineties. Um, and, and just, just to jump in real quick, if, if anyone goes to, to visit your distillery, you have this really cool little area with, with all these, these photos of kind of like the history of sugarcane in Puerto Rico. I remember you showed me when, when I visited a little over a year ago. Um, it's really extraordinary just to see all of that history, just the, the, the pictures of what, what used to be there right there at the place that's, that's now, you know, trying to bring sugarcane back a little bit. Our, our, one of our you know, main uh, motivators of this project is to be able to show what the sugarcane industry was represented in Puerto Rico and, is, and that is intertwined with our uh, more contemporary rum production. So we're marrying tradition with rum production in a, a, a recent contemporary story. And basically we were able to rescue 20 stocks of sugarcane of Puerto Rican varietals. Uh, they, were, they were all numbered. And one of them was the, the one that we're uh, promoting and developing the most right now. By, by chance, Eric, it's also, a, an, and Steve, it's a, it's a red sugarcane. And it was the last variety developed in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico had, has, has an, an amazing agriculture university in Mayagüez. And in the University of Rio Piedras, the University of Puerto Rico had a a rum uh, experimental plant. So there was a university program where you could go study how to make rum. That was shut down also after the sugarcane industry uh, declined and disappeared. And But there was so, so, so much uh, incredible uh, scientific development of varieties because it, it was a big industry. So they were creating the more resistant varieties that had less fiber, had more juice, and basically, they all evolved from the original Puerto Rican varieties that were imported uh, originally in this part of the world. They came from Portugal. So anyway, we basically rescued uh, from almost extinction because it was it, there was this program program that 40 acres were saved for future generations uh, to be able to keep the this history of uh, these 50, 60, 80 varieties of sugarcane that had been developed throughout Puerto Rico's sugarcane era. 
And that project, project was abandoned and everything was dying out. So we, were, we got there on just on time and were able to rescue five stalks of cane of five different varieties. And we planted basically 80 feet with five stalks of sugar cane or 50 feet. And it, each, each line had their little sign with a, with a number of the variety, the Puerto Rican varietal number. And from that, we propagated that and created uh, a third of an acre of, of the five together. Then we converted that into three acres, and then that, that converted itself into seven or 10 acres. Then we were able to plant up to 80 acres, which was the most we've ever had. Pepe, how many, how many acres are right there behind the distillery? Because if I remember correctly, I think you have multiple places where you're growing it, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Is it all right there at the distillery? Yeah, we, we own a 14-acre farm, which is our property. It was, our, it was one of our farms we bought in the early 90s. And I decided to create our home base for the distillery here. So we have a fenced four-acre area, which is a distillery, our aging warehouses, our offices, and our uh, La Casa de Pepon, which is, is our little gift shop and our little uh, visitor center that we've created. And it's basically a, a, the original Puerto Rican house uh, made of cement and simple, but quite nice. Basically, this is like a destination and... We have eight acres of sugarcane planted here, so whoever visits is able to walk the eight acres of sugarcane. They can cut sugarcane. They can see how it how it's milled here in our facilities. And then we have another 100 acres that are planted about 10 minutes from here in the town of Vega Baja, where we've propagated and planted those 80 acres of sugarcane. We used to have sod there planted, as I mentioned before. We had the land, we had the landscaping business, and we've been Eliminating the sod and, and planting the sugarcane. So basically, we we uh, cultivate our sugarcane. Uh, our growing period is about eight eight to ten months. The our normal cycle for sugarcane for sugar would be uh, maybe twelve months, fourteen months. So we shorten the length because we don't want sugar, uh, the bricks of the sugarcane juice to be in excess of what it should be. Usually it's between 15 and 18% bricks because we've noticed that yeast in uh, high intensity sugars, like the normal uh, bricks for sugarcane cultivation to make, for making sugar would be anywhere around 20, 22, 23, 24 bricks of sugar. But yeast won't work well because there's lots of hidden sugars in there. There's other types of sugars that are hidden in there. And the yeast will simply, will have a some uh, fermentation. So our cycle is around eight to ten months, and we aim at 18% sugar or 18 bricks. And the, our yeast work wonderfully fine, so we get a proper fermentation. And then basically we distill in, it's all distilled in our pot stills, and we have a dirty pot still, which is the pot still which, where we do our first distillation, and then we have our clean pot still where we do our second distillation. And that basically, it's, it's an incredible aromatic uh, product. has a completely different taste than, than from molasses distillation. Oh. And basically, that's it. You guys have all spoken a little bit to the the challenges that are unique to having this kind of operation where you're not only a distillery, you're also running a farm. Obviously, there are factors of running a farm that are beyond your control, weather, nature, et cetera. 
Um, well, what have kind of been the biggest challenges for each of you or, or learning curves maybe that have come with with not only running the distillery, but growing sugarcane and and having to know, you know, when you need juice or when you need syrup. And, and it seems like this whole logistical, I, I don't want to say nightmare because that sounds bad, but it seems like a really a, a monumental logistical challenge to me. And I, I'm curious from, from your perspectives, what have been kind of the biggest challenges? It's, a, it's an extremely difficult business. And we were to inaugurate our project in December of 2017. And we were slammed by Hurricane Maria, the worst hurricane that has hit Puerto Rico in the last 70 years. Right. And my crop, I, we had 80 to 100 acres ready, and it was total loss. It, it, we completely lost everything. We're surrounded by a river that runs around the, this specific farm, which we selected because it was, it was this specific farm had produced the highest yield because it's surrounded, it's like a peninsula, surrounded by two rivers. And it's, it's impacted by fresh water from, from the soil, from the sides. So this specific farm was uh, like the most extraordinary place to, to grow sugarcane that we could find in the island. And by, check, by coincidence, we already had 45 acres of that farm rented, which is where we used to grow our plants and our sods. So we basically planted everything and the river uh, overflowed and we hadn't seen a flood. This was a flood of a hundred years. Everything was basically completely destroyed. So this is, and you know, we were uh, really shaken uh, economically, emotionally. Yeah, yeah. We went out there, it was like they had dropped the bomb. And not only us, but everywhere you looked in, in Puerto Rico, because the hurricane ran over Puerto Rico through the middle of it. And it basically ran over us. And it was really devastating. So we had, you know, we, we were, we confronted the situation of either we, you know, go forward with this, is this, you know, is this worth continuing? And after a couple of weeks, we forgot everything about the hurricane and started cleaning up and replanting and collecting whatever we could salvage. So we were able to salvage some of the cane and, and mail. And that's the product that we bottled now that we just launched our first edition of a 24-month 24, 24 age rompepon, uh, which mm -hmm. is the first rom agricola uh, in Puerto Rico that has ever been made. And we made 800 bottles out of it, and they're all numbered and signed, so we're very proud of this. And anyway, we're planting and, and continuing and going forward. Having been a farmer all my life, I can tell you that farmer's life is extremely unpredictable. There's, you know, you don't right. know where you're gonna get an extreme drought, extreme rain, or a storm or a plague of insects, or it is a challenge. And, but we feel confident that we're, we're going to have a good run for, for the next dozen of years or so, and that we'll be, yeah, we'll be uh, full sail ahead. Absolutely. Steve, I, I know you looked like you were going to uh, jump in there earlier, um, just speaking to kind of the, the biggest challenges or learning curves that you guys have experienced. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to give Eric some time too, because I think we've been talking quite a bit, but yeah, we can't uh, forget about Eric. Real quickly, just real quickly, um, it's it, it's a good point that 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 Pepe makes is these farms. At least it sounds like in everybody's case, didn't exist. There wasn't just you don't just jump into a sugarcane industry, and then the scale of which we're doing it was so different than the industries that were before us in Hawaii. These massive scales of you know hundreds and thousands of workers all over the island we're growing sugarcane and then we're coming back with this super boutique 
it's it's almost oxymoronical for people. They're just they didn't even understand like why would you buy land on the ocean to go plant a crop that has virtually no cultural or economic value anymore. Mm. Um, and so it, it, it's for us, it started with 651 gallon pots in our yard in order to get enough starts to grow, you know, and it's very iterative. 18 stocks gets uh, 650 pots, gets eventually two acres, gets eventually, you know, 20 acres. And you have to keep scaling up in order to actually to get this going. And so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. And, and, and you, you learn a lot about the plants when you do it, you, you really begin to enjoy the plants as an ingredient. And for us, you know, we can, we harvest all year round. We're constantly harvesting. We'll do three harvests a week and we just continually just go through the field and, and do it. But I'm kind of interested for Eric, I guess. And, and we, we talked to some people in Louisiana and I'm kind of interested in how both of you guys juice, for example, too. But one of the struggles that we've had is, okay, now that we finally figured out how to harvest this stuff, juicing becomes sort of an issue and, and how efficiently can you juice? And there's no small scale juicers, you know, because everything was the size of, you know, your living room before. And there would be, you know, mills that are two acres big. And so I know in Louisiana, there's a little bit more family style farm. So I, I assume you can take advantage of that in, in Georgia. Um, but that to me is is a big challenge is, is just getting equipment that sort of the right size and processes in place that are the right size for, for companies our size. So like, how do you, are you guys just once a year, correct, Eric? And then, and then, so you don't have to deal with all the juice, then it's a, you turn it into a syrup to preserve it, correct? We ferment as much as possible, as, as much as we can, to the extent that the, the wine is, 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 the fermented wine is storable. And uh, the rest is the, the vast majority is uh, condensed into uh, into syrup. The challenge that we've had, of course, is that no one had been growing sugarcane in in this area since uh, the late 1800s. Right. And so there's large or small. There's no infrastructure. There's no knowledge. There's no know-how. There's no history. There are no. There's there's nothing to relate to. Uh, the whole farming industry focuses on peanuts and cotton, corn, uh, pecans. But you know, what's funny is our very first juicer was a little three-roller that we actually got from Georgia. And we called people up in Georgia, and they sent us this mail from the 1800s, and they thought we were crazy. Like, what do you <laughs> want this? What do you want this thing for? You know, but we actually had to go to you guys to try and figure out how to how to get the sugarcane juice. Yeah, the uh, Columbus Iron Works used to make uh, small crushers, mm -hmm. uh, but of a size that were were designed to be driven by mules, had two arms with, with yeah. two mules walking around. And so that's all very small scale. And uh, we have a couple of them just for to demonstrate to people every fall when we harvest, we use a couple of those now driven by an electromotor. Uh, and people can come in and, you know, stick in their own stalks and say, oh, uh, and drink a little bit of uh, sugarcane juice. But uh, because the infrastructure wasn't here, the history wasn't here, looked around. I even went to uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Pepe, to, uh, to see if I could, could find anything there. Uh, closest, of course, Louisiana, and uh, ended up buying a crusher in India which is uh, driven by a diesel engine. And um, that thing runs from mid-November through mid to the end of December, 24 by 7. 
and uh, we, we, we crush everything we have. Ferment goes from the crusher into totes, ferment and store as much as we can to have a true, what would be, what would be the local equivalent of an agricole. And uh, the rest of the juice is condensed to uh, syrup. Yeah, and the subtext there for, and it's not obvious to anybody, is this juice is extremely volatile. So it's usually a matter of hours. Um, if you let it sit around for a matter of hours, it's, it's already on its way to being fermented. Yeah. And if it's not your yeast, it's bacteria or wild yeast or a combination of the, and, and, and it's ruined in no time. So it's unlike other distilleries where heating is part of the process, which cleans, you know, cleans it by killing all the bacteria and giving a fresh start. It's really difficult to deal with with that. And I think that was our biggest challenge was trying to figure out how do we turn this super delicious juice into, into a really good fermentation and, and to be able to control it. Yeah, and, and do it. Uh, that's what we do instantly. It, 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 it flows from the, the crusher to fermentation tanks directly. Eric, there's a, a question that came in um, that I, I feel like now is a good time to throw it in. This is from... They just have the initial Z. So Z is asking, uh, with close field proximity, would Richland consider an annual harvest release of an unaged cane juice agricultural rum, uh, just a batch or two at harvest time? So it, it sounds like you're you're allowing some of the juice to ferment. Is that what goes into your unaged product, or is that also made of made from cane syrup as well? No, uh, whatever we have made or are making every year from directly from juice is bottled as a as a virgin rum to to really bring out or really let the the vegetal experience be as uh, as powerful as possible and um, we actually do what uh, z is uh, suggesting only it's been been on a on a very small scale trickled in uh, to sales in the two distillery the two we have we have two distilleries uh, so z's not on that mailing list huh <laughs> z should uh, <laughs> uh, jump on the website and uh, uh, and and follow that because it it, it is sold in the uh, two distillery stores as long as it is available uh, usually in the in the course of the year it's gone and you sell you sell cane syrup as well right yeah, 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 we do. And, and more and more so, we see more and more restaurants that, you know, are fanatical about it. In some cases, yeah. they, uh, they ban sugar from their kitchen <laughs> and only, only use this syrup, which has no additives. It, the only thing it has seen is heat. That's, that's all. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. And that's, 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 that's part of the fun of making the agricole is if once you get the process figured out and you really learn how to control it, is that there's nothing. You add nothing to it. There's no colors, no flavors, no sugars. It's just the expression of the juice itself. And so that's, it's kind of like golf. You know, when you get that one swing, you're hooked for life. It's just very similar to that. Yeah. And, and, and that is what actually probably we shared it is what makes it very gratifying to be able to show a bottle of rum and say, hey, the only two ingredients in here are sugarcane juice and water. Literally, there's, there's nothing else in there. No other, any, anything has been added. And I, I want to make sure, I know we're almost at an hour here, and we've got some really good questions, um, some of which are kind of dovetailing with a few of the questions I had left uh, for you guys. And this is an interesting one because I know 
Um, I think I've spoken to you about each of this. And I know you each have, you know, arrived at different conclusions for how you do this. But um, we had a question asking, should distilleries from non-French speaking areas use the word agricole for cane juice rums or use a local term for agricultural rum? So I know you've all obviously thought a lot about this. And I'm interested just to kind of for each of you to share your experience in deciding how how you figured out what to call your rum. I, Eric, you want to jump I in? Can be, I can be very brief about it. Uh, we never do that. Uh, the term agricole is protected within a French jurisdiction. And um, we call our rum pure sugarcane juice rum. And that's it. We battled with the idea of calling it agricole, uh, rum agricole. It would be a mix of two languages. Uh, I personally feel that agricole is not a protected word. It means agricultural in French. That what is registered and there's rights to it is rum agricole, rum with an H, agricole of Martinique and other islands maybe do are do have the word registered. But uh, for someone in the States, for example, to try to privatize or claim the, the right to use the word agriculture, it would be preposterous. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't want to get into, into that pickle and I, I, I made a few calls. I even spoke to Will to see his opinion about it. And I decided to call it Rome Agricola, so no one can. And I even got some feedback saying, but you're using the word Agricola. And I said, but I'm, this is Puerto Rico, this is in Spanish. But still, you're using the term agriculture. I said, it, one has to be very careful here, but you know, we call it, it we've named it Rome Agricola because we're in Puerto Rico, it's Rome Pepon, Rome is Rome. And we feel proud, and I, I feel that the best thing I could have, have done was to go with Rome Agricola and feel very proud of it. And, and we went all the way. So we actually call one of our rums, we call it Hawaiian Rum Agricole. Um, and for us, the decision was there's a lot of confusion with rum, and there's a lot of things that happen with rum that make it difficult for consumers to actually unwind what's actually going on with it. And so our intention was, is let's sort of normalize on something that most of the world understands and, and has direct meaning for them. And then, of course, we use the word Hawaiian right in front of it to show them that this is how we're doing it in Hawaii. Uh, are you a single estate? It means it comes field to glass from one house, right? And leave it at that. Yeah. Um, well, like I was saying, all, all three different perspectives I think that's probably something that we'll continue to talk about just because I, I think the the category of rums from fresh sugarcane juice, we're seeing more and more of it. Um, obviously, there are a lot of people all over the world and in, in trying to kind of spread it, get more people to get excited about what's a wonderful category of rum. Um, so something that I think will be an ongoing conversation for sure. Um, but thank you for the, the question. That one was from Z as well. Here's a, a, another question for you, Eric. Um, this one is from Jer Anderson up in Minnesota. Jer asks, uh, Eric, do you notice flavor differences with rum produced from different depletion times? Meaning, as you deplete your syrup, does rum created from the early portions taste different than rum from the later portions? Yeah, um, we get that question uh, often, and apparently that's based on experiences that may corroborate that. We haven't noticed that. There is a difference between varieties. Uh, uh, rum does have terroir, 
There is a difference in seasons. Uh, we've had different experiences with the same variety in, in over two different years. But the differences in caused by the time of storage, we've never never noticed that. And also have never noticed a discernible difference in the constitution of the of the syrup. Mm. We've uh, I have saved syrup probably since samples since 2001 or 2002 wow. or so, just to see how it stays, how 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 it preserves. And uh, you know, given the high sugar content, uh, it's it's condensed to about 80 bricks. It uh, natural sugars are the best known natural preservatives to mankind. The rum or the the syrup doesn't doesn't change unless you allow lots of air to it, mm. and it will crystallize. It will do all sorts of things, but uh, this is stored without any access to air, and I have never noticed any change. Can 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 you guys, Pippo or Steve, have have any views on that? Well, for us, it's fresh juice um, three times a week. Um, so we do notice the difference between the varietals. We'll notice difference between climates. So, for example, you know, you people on the mainland will laugh at us, but the difference between winter and summer it could be, uh, you know, maybe 10, to 10 degrees difference at the farm. And so the juice will come in, for example, right around, you know, this time of the year in the last few months, it comes in a little cooler. So maybe in the 70s. So what we'll find is, is that we'll get our fermentation period might last, you know, 50% longer because there's just not quite the same amount of energy in the pot. So it'll be very subtle differences like that, that we notice. But because we're always starting with fresh juice and the process is always the same, it's, it's different for us. But every batch tastes different. And every batch, you know, we have a, a weekly um, process where we call it sensory and about six to eight of us will get together and we'll taste every single um, run that we've ever done. And then we usually put three or four of them together um, in order to come out with a product that, that is very similar to the, to the standard that we have. And if it, to, to be honest, if it doesn't meet our standard, then we don't bottle it. So you're kind of blending a little bit to achieve more consistency then for, for our, yes, for the, okay. for our primary Hawaiian rum agricole product. And then of course we're hinting at, of course. So, we're also working on a program where we do single varietal rums okay. that, that really express the difference between the different canes. Cause we're lucky to have, you know, these, these, these 40 different varieties of sugar canes. And some of them are extremely unique in, in, in both flavor and, and how they look. And so we're working on a way of really showing the differences between those as well. And some of those will be quite rare. Nice. Excellent. Uh, and Pepe, I wanted to give you a chance to speak to that as well. How much difference do you notice kind of, you know, maybe throughout the year or seasonal changes in, in the distillate you get? We cultivate sugarcane uh, year long, because the weather permits it, and it grows year long. But we do have a rainy season, which is from May to December. And then we have a dry season from uh, January to May. Uh, traditionally, sugarcane in the Caribbean was grown aggressively during the, those uh, wet months, so it would aggressively grow. Uh, we, we've broken that mold and we're planting sugarcane all year long and uh, cultivating sugarcane all year long. The difference is that when, when you get lots of water, your water content in the stock will increase and your sugar level will decrease. 
So when you cultivate sugarcane during the dry season, you'll get a much sweeter, uh, more concentrated uh, of sugar because you're, it's like everything. Uh, in the other fruits that we buy, that we use in other products that we make, if we process mangoes or pineapples or other fruits during the rainy season, they taste completely different than if they're cultivated during the dry season. So it, it water has a lot to do with it. And we get, right now we've had a dry spell and the concentration of the sugar in the juice is high. But as soon as it starts raining now in May, we'll, we'll see that, that it will, it'll change. We have a, uh, our mill processes three tons of sugarcane per hour. And so we go through sugarcane pretty fast. And we do have a pasteurizer where we deposit our sugarcane after three different filtration systems. Uh, we deposit in a tank that is supposed to then go through a pasteurizer to kill the wild yeast and, and bacteria. We don't, we've never used it because we feel that it'll take away so much flavors and terroir and all the good things you want in the juice. And the way we mitigated that is pitching in the yeast, we pass immediately the juice to the tanks and we feed the yeast immediately. So our good yeast will take over the fermentation and not allow the wild yeast to, you know, to take over. So basically that's the way we've been doing it so far. And I think we'll keep sticking to that. Hey, I got a nerdy question if I can for Pepe. So three tons per hour, what's the, what's the juice that's coming out? What's that? How much juice are you producing? Our mill produces extract. We have our sugarcane is traditionally about 50% is bagasse and 50% is water. So uh, our mill system, we have a single mill. We were going to install a double mill system to do a double extraction. And that would give you maybe five or 8% more juice. Uh, so we felt, you know, the mill was one of the last things we installed. So we, we, for budget reasons, we decided to do a single mill. We don't add anything to the juice. We don't dilute it with anything. We ferment our juice just as it comes out of the mill. And I'd say we, we get about 40% juice out of the 100% of the weight of the cane. By way, so, okay. Yeah, so what we found is is we can get we can get seventy to eighty percent juice, but it takes a lot of effort in the milling in order to do that. So you might have to that might be two or three runs to actually you know, get. Yeah, we milled it just once, and there's still juice in the bagasse, but it would be so much work. And it's a big volume. We process about twenty tons a day, so it, it's 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 almost impossible to redo all that bagasse. So. What we're planning on doing in the near future, one of the expansions we have, because we've fallen in love with the whole process, is to add a, a, another mill. And then what we do is we re rehydrate the, the bagasse. Once it's pressed, we rehydrate it with a little bit of sugarcane juice that we've pressed out. We don't want to add water. The traditional way is to rehydrate the bagasse with clean water, and you press it again, and then your sugar levels drop. So we would rehydrate once more and then press it through a second mill. That would be, that's the project we have in, in our plans. And also right now we have a table where we, we feed this big, you know, eight feet by eight feet table. And we pull the sugarcane down to the conveyor that goes into the uh, shredding machine. And then that goes up a conveyor that feeds the, the mill. We're, install, we're also installing a, a automated uh, new table that will raise itself and will have like these uh, mechanical features or legs that pushes the cane 
towards the, the feeding uh, conveyor to the shredder, then to the, the shredded cane into the mill. It's all about milling, it turns out. It really, yeah, it really, it yeah. Is. yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're seeing also about 50% or so. Uh, it's about 50% is the accurate, the accurate number yeah, in, in our part. To do it twice is, is, is a lot of effort. I mean, for us, it, it's impossible to manage. So we need to improve on the, on, on the milling side to make it, create a more efficient extraction method. It's all natural. It, it's basically, it's just, it's a, it's a nice milling system. It works fine. So I, I wanted to point out to everyone, I just shared some links to um, all of your distilleries' websites in the chat. And one thing I wanted to be sure to ask all of you guys, because I know it's been anything but a normal year in terms of, uh, you know, doing tours and visitors and stuff like that. But if anyone is interested in, in or they're going to you know be in the area or maybe they live nearby, um, are you able to do tours right now? What does that look like? How much of the, you know, sugarcane... Uh, process can people uh, experience if they they come and visit you? We're uh, fully open, uh, both the distilleries uh, in Richland and Brunswick for tours. Uh, the tasting rooms are open. The uh, gift shops are open. We do organize tours of the farm in the fall, October and November. And Pepe, what about you? Yeah, we're, we're I mean, we had started doing tours uh uh, last year, and immediately they were shut down. We, I feel that the, the part of the of being able to attract visitors and having the whole uh, concept of the agricultural distillery, aging room, the sugarcane, the milling, everything uh, all together is a is a great experience. And we've seen the models from all the wineries throughout the world and all the distilleries throughout the world that. They all have their uh, visiting programs. It's proven to be a huge business and it helps in many ways to pay other bills that need to be paid. And it's uh, it also, I feel that it generates a uh, feeling of uh, ambassadorship of everyone that goes through here, that once they leave our facilities, they become your ambassadors and that's what yeah. we want. We treat them really well. We there are there are ambassadors and and we treat them like family and make them feel welcome and we're doing a little bit of food pairings with rums and a little bit of chocolate and this and that inventing stuff all the time and it, it it's it's interesting it, it we don't take our f focus away from our uh, main reason of, of being of course which is a distillery but it it is a, a it is something that you have all the elements you have all the tools already there. So right now we just hosted a tour uh, about an hour and a half ago. Now we have another group of eight persons uh, walking through the whole distillery. It, we take about we take our time. We take about two hours to show them around. We welcome them with a drink. Uh, we try to ha make them have fun, to laugh, and enjoy themselves. And we give them a little bit of our history, the history of sugarcane and rum in Puerto Rico, and what we're doing. Uh, basically, we walk through the, cane, the sugar cane field, walk back, walk through the distillery. They, they see everything, all the wheels in motion. We come back to the visitor center. We do a full tasting of everything. And, I mean, they then they, they, they can go into the little gift shop that we have. That we have. They can buy product. They can buy whatever they like. And it, 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 it's, a fun, it's, a, it's really fun. It's a fun experience. 
for us, we actually opened a full, we have a 3000 square foot bar and restaurant. So we started off with just, you know, we want to have the full experience immediately. Um, and to Pepe's point, it's, it's really marketing. And so you have to be careful because you can't be losing money on your, you know, restaurants are great ways to lose money if you, if you don't operate them properly. And it's really easy to lose a lot of money in a restaurant quickly. Um, fortunately, we've got a, a team that that's good at it. Our, the guy that's in charge of our hospitality program actually ran it for High West, um, and so when the High whiskey, West was right? sold to Constellation, we we immediately not only brought the CEO over as as one of our uh, advisors and board members, but also the head of operations um, as well. And so uh, we concentrate on that. We do probably between seventy five thousand and hundred thousand people a year will come through. Wow. the program and to Pepe's point, it's just, that is the best way for people to really experience it, to really try it, to really understand what we're doing it, to feel the love from the people that are working hard on us and, and just really get a flavor for, you know, the Island and, 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 and what we're trying to do. And so it's, 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 it's a lot of work, but it's, it's very gratifying. Um, and then we also have a, a tour program um, where people can sign up. That's just starting to open up again because of COVID, but, you know, where you, where we have a, a, a tour company will actually come and take you to the farm and then you go okay. to the, and see the cane, see, see it growing, see, you know, see the ocean Maui and all that, try the cane in the field, drink some juice, and then we'll take them to the distillery where they can actually try the fermentation. By the way, the fermentation is delicious. And I'm sure it's the case with both of you guys as well. You could drink this as beer all day long. Free product From idea. There, yeah, well, that's, I mean, I, I'm sure we've all had that idea already. So, um, and then, and then we take them down to the rum shack um, where they can enjoy it as a cocktail and, and lunch as well and do tastings and, and as well. And we're about to open up another uh, about 800 square foot space to do a private tasting room. Um, so final question. This one comes in from Alan Fowler. Great question. Maybe a tough one to answer, but I'm sure you've all thought about this a lot. He wants to know, what is your favorite tasting profile or characteristic in each of your own rums? Uh, maybe you could point to one thing about it that you love. What would that be? Well, I'm not on mute, so I'll start. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, for us, the what's what's really exciting about our sugar canes that that I like is the fact that, you know, these have been cultivated by humans for human consumption as a sugarcane plant. So this, these weren't these weren't designed for industry. They weren't designed to extract sugar. Um, they were designed literally as fruit, if you will. So they could just be eaten. And so there's a lot of wonderful flavors in a lot of these sugarcanes. And for us, the challenge is, is to get those to come forward. So what I like to taste in our rum a lot is we get sort of this sort of I like to call it stone fruit, but like cherry type flavors, which mm. sounds sort of almost counterintuitive when you're thinking about a white rum that hasn't been aged or anything. We get a lot of like uh, different sort of banana variations. So anywhere from banana leaf to very sweet banana to plantains, um, a lot of pineapple flavors and and some slightly more exotic things like lemongrass and things like that. So there's there's a lot of depth and a lot of sort of different fruit flavors that come forward that we really look forward to. Um, and then the other thing that we really like is we, we strive for a very long finish um, in our white agricole. We want it to last. We call it everlasting gobstopper, if anybody's ever seen the Willy Wonka movies. But we want it to last for about 14 weeks. 
And that's something that you can actually do with this. And even though there's no sugar in the liquid, it, it just, it, you know, it feels so rich and wonderful. Um, and so that's, that's really what we're going for. Pepe, do you want to, you want to jump in? Yeah. The, something that we've developed, started developing uh, an inclination and we've noticed there's an amazing interest throughout uh, Puerto Rico and uh, the U.S. and everybody that contacts us and tries our products is going more towards our white rum because the white rum, you'll get all these herbal notes, you'll get the terroir, you'll get all these flavors that disappear once you throw your rum into a barrel you're interacting with 357 different elements that would impart into the product. And after a while, although age I recall rums I, I, I love and I personally enjoy them immensely. I really like them a lot. I've been starting to tinker with, you know, experimenting with the, the white rums and doing the famous tea punch, which is a legendary original agricole drink uh, the people who invented this thing, and it is—it's an incredible, incredible flavors that, that comes out of these tea punch. And so we're basically, uh, my son enjoys uh, white rum as well, very, very much. We are in our, our aged rums are extraordinary as well, and we are in the process of aging. We're aging about half of what we produce and. Uh, bottling white, about half of what we produce, and it, it's it's amazing the how strong white runs because of all the original notes of the sugarcane juice, yeah, all these flavors, all these grassy flavors, that uh, you know, and smelling notes that come out of this fresh pressed uh, sugarcane juice rum. It, it's it's really really great to hear, and uh, one of the advantages of uh, what you did here is bringing us together. I, I I would really appreciate staying in touch with you guys because there's a lot that we can uh, exchange and, and learn from each other. Absolutely. But um, yeah, what we enjoy is the fact that the the rum made from the sugarcane here has definitely the grassy agricole notes, hints of even of, of field flowers, uh, vegetal tones, even some hints of vanilla without the funkiness. Uh, way back when uh, I first tried Grandpa's agricoles. The and, collection. And, uh, and, and also traveled to the French islands and I thought that that was absolutely beautiful and lived as, as, oh, if I could ever achieve that. Now I'm arrogant enough to say that after 20 years of producing here, 21, I like this better. The terroir <laughs> is, is, is better. It, it doesn't have the funkiness. And we bottle it at, at full strength to, 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 to bring it out. And it's, it's very successful. I'm, I'm very jealous of, of you guys. Our intermediate step to syrup does make a difference and you can you can really say it's it's not original or it's it's worse or better you don't have to uh, attach a value judgment to it but converting condensing the the juice into syrup and then ferment and distill creates a different product it's 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 just noticeably different 
So the portion that we uh, make directly from fresh juice out of the crusher into a fermenter has these notes uh, that I just described without the funkiness. There's even there's there's some fruitiness there, some grapefruit in in there. It's 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 beautiful. And to your earlier point, uh, Pepe, uh, to use that for an old-fashioned tea punch serving is is just fantastic. It, it's 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 great. Yeah, I, I would say the the best thing to do um, if you're watching is to, to to try to get your hands on some. I know it can always be a little difficult with distribution and things like that. Um, but I put the links to the websites up, and um, I know you you each have information on you know the best ways to find your products and things like that. So strongly encourage everyone to check that out. But uh, thank you guys so much for for giving 90 minutes of your time today. I always I feel like these could always you know go for three hours or so. Uh, anytime we get a group of distillers together, it's always fun. Um, so I really appreciate it. Um, any anything to add or, or that we didn't get to uh, before we go? Uh, and by the way, uh, Z wrote into the chat: unaged cane juice rums are the best. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds we like it's on the same wavelength. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's it's as 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 following on that. It's just it's really interesting that that unaged rum especially in agricole are becoming so popular um and and what i'm finding is spirits people aficionados try it because it's so different and so to the essence of of what a spirit can actually be about that that we're, we're surprised by the reaction that we get at the rum shack to be totally honest we have one product that we it's a take of the tea punch we call it a high punch so hi punch instead of ti punch and it's just room temperature agricole in a glass with a half of a, a passion fruit. We call it lilikoi here and a little bit of fresh cane syrup from our own farm. And it's a deconstructed daiquiri, if you will. You can do whatever you want with it. But we're really surprised that, you know, more people than not just just drink the agricole all by itself, all age groups, genders, you name it. So it's 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 really fun to watch that. Um, and then we just, you know, we entered a spirits competition. I know these guys have accolades, you know, out the wazoo, but the San Francisco world, you know, they gave us a gold medal. So the point is, is the people love agricoles now. And I really think this is, you know, an exciting time to be there. Um, and, and this is a sort of a really fun and unique product because it's not about the barrel. Being made in the U.S. and, and being made like by us in Puerto Rico, by you in Hawaii and, and and you in Georgia is is something that has has become like a grassroots movement to support local distilleries. People are fascinated with trying out a small batch, small production, high quality stuff that is made within you know within the country, which right. is is super interesting. Not just, you know, imported stuff. We we get bombarded from imported stuff from all over the world. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal that all this support is coming from every direction. Yeah, and, and Dave Russell, by the way, in the chat noted uh, such diversity among the three distilleries, yet all on the same subject. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I love about this is um, three producers all, all you know, in, in the same uh, country, but all coming to it from totally different perspectives, different environments, everything about it. And uh, you, you get the, you know, for, for me as a consumer, it's a great thing because it's uh, more, more interesting, amazing products to try. Um, and Brad Krause in the chat as well, who's down in Panama, 
Um, he says, we make rum from Raspadura, which is concentrated cane juice, uh, definitely more cane character than molasses. Um, so it sounds like that might be kind of similar to like the cane syrup that you're working with, Eric. Uh, Raspadura um, is a dehydrated, it's more like a dehydrated uh, panela. Oh, okay. So this would be like crystallized. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so different yeah. from syrup then. Yeah, Very so cool. Basically, you take a piece of that and you dilute it and it turns, it, it's basically... It's dehydrated to a point where it becomes like a like a cake, a piece of right. of solid sugar. It shows all the all all the possibilities because that in and of itself had, creates a, a a very different character. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it's probably wonderful. And like you said, Eric, you, you you mentioned, you know, so often we try to attach value statements to different cane substrates and things like that. But I think what's great is just they're all different at the end of the day. The juice is wonderful. I The the aged rums you guys make from the cane syrup, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I think they're they're great on their own in an entirely different way and experience. So the more the better uh, from, from my perspective. So Yeah, and to um, Eric's point, I don't mean to – we actually have a blending program where we make rums from all kinds of rums that we found around the world as well. So we love rum agricole, but we love all rums, whether it's made from molasses or dehydrated syrup or, or, or syrups, we love it all. Yeah, we'll put on the label what the fermentation source was um, so people can see that. But, you know, that's our goal is to share all this fantastic stuff with everybody. So sorry, I just... That's that's what it's all about, right? Just be straightforward about what right. the product is. Absolutely. I think that's and the most important thing. Yeah, there are very good, very beautiful molasses rums. They are amazing molasses Extraordinary, rums. yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary molasses rum. They're just a, they're just a different profile. And yeah. there are absolutely there's some incredible molasses rum. But, but many of them try to obfuscate that by by hinting through all sorts of ways that it is not molasses, that it is fresh juice, rum, which is not true. And and it's it's a pity that there are value judgments associated with it. It's it's just a different Agreed. product, and yeah. the craftsmanship behind it determines what the uh, what the outcome is what i like about this combination of being a farmer and a distiller is making a field to glass product number one and number two have no additives 0, 0.0 additives so yeah you grow goes into a bottle and yeah. with the use of water but that's it and um Purity and authenticity. Uh, then you don't have to develop a brand that talks about the spirit of the wild horses that roam <laughs> the area and, uh, and so forth. It's, we like horses, though. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We we are we are we have a, a Mustang sanctuary. At the farm. Oh wow! But, um, yeah. So you know, just just be authentic and right. authenticity is. Rains and yeah, I think beyond. that's that's the thinking that's going to let rum premiumize. I think that's the thinking that's going to that's already happened. A lot of work's been put into place to to be honest and straightforward about rum, and I think that's why rum is really starting to take off. Is that people are realizing that this is one of the most interesting spirits categories, not the most you know how it has been in the past. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that it has been has has de has developed such a bad reputation. And you know, if you if you use a bad grade mill molasses, you have to distill up to 150 proof or so to get rid of all the contaminants. And now you have 
almost pure ethanol. Ethanol is right. ethanol is ethanol and tastes like ethanol. It, it, it's right. no longer rum. And then you have to reflavor it to make it taste like rum. Something, then you, yeah. Then you write on it pure cane juice, sugar, sugar <laughs> and so forth. And, and, and you buy it for uh, $6.99 for $7.50. <laughs> it, um, that is, that is what, what, what's given rum a bad reputation. And it's, it's so bad, and that's why Grandpa inspired me. But if you do it well in an artisanal way, you have a beautiful product. It, yeah, not a mixer. It, yeah, a pure like you you just uh, said uh, earlier, Steve. I mean, uh, just pour a little bit of fresh rum uh, straight from the still, undiluted, in a glass without ice, and enjoy it. It's beautiful. It's very yeah. complex and it's beautiful. And by the way, Eric, on that note, I'm I'm going to be seeing my grandmother soon for the first time in a while. Her parents immigrated from the Netherlands originally. My dad's whole side of the family is from the Netherlands. Um, and I never was, you know, I never got to share in with some amazing collection of agricole rum. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I was I missed out a little bit there. <laughs> Well, make sure that when you are in Holland, uh, that you make a stop at Sheer. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, Sheer. I've yeah. I've um, I've interviewed Karsten and Niels from ENA Sheer before, so that's at the top of my list. If I'm when I when I eventually get over there someday, they've largest, got quite a collection. Largest rum traders in the world since the 1700s, and 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 fantastic people. Super delightful informative open people yeah that's always been my experience in in talking with them as well so yeah. um again th thank you all of you guys um pepe i think you mentioned you have a tour going on so i don't want to keep you from your guests too much longer but it's fine i've had an immense pleasure meeting you guys uh will thank you so much for doing this eric a real pleasure. pleasure uh steve the same uh we're here and yeah open house policy with you're invited anytime you want. And I'll Same here, guys. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. No, it was a slightly different episode than usual, but rest assured that interview I mentioned that it's getting a little bit postponed will be back soon enough to our regular scheduled programming. In the meantime, as always, please let us know what you think of the show. Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts is a great way to do that. Helps other people discover the show and we always appreciate it. If you have any questions or anything, any topics you want us to cover, feel free to send us an email, host at rumcast.com. We love getting emails from you guys, host at rumcast.com. And there's also social media, this, this new thing online that I've heard about called social media. You can find us at the Rumcast at Rumcast. What is it, John? At the Rumcast, Will. Okay. It's at the Rumcast, either Facebook or Instagram. And actually, we we had a really cool uh, person reach out to us on Instagram recently. I know we are Will. We're bound by our English language, and uh, we 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 do have quite a few of our listeners are in the U.S. But you know, we have a worldwide audience. That's right. And there was a uh, one uh, user, Rum Girl underscore CZ. She contacted us recently, and she actually uh, speaks Czech. Wow. But she listens to our podcast, and she said she's learning English. Thanks That's amazing. Podcast. So I thought that was really, really cool. And so I asked her to figure out how we would say in Czech, uh, thank you for listening. So I'm going to attempt to do that right now in I'm Czech. I'm glad you have the courage for this. Go for the for first it. time. And I want to tell uh, Rum Girl CZ, thank you so much. And I'm going to say it in Czech. It's Jekwiza Poslech. 
That sounded great. I have no knowledge of Czech, but I just have this feeling like you nailed it. So good job for stepping up and, uh, you know, going out on a limb there. I love it. Totally nailed it. And that's the Dunning-Kruger effect in right there. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for all of you for worldwide for listening. And please do let us know what it is that you want to hear us talk about. If there are other subjects, reach out to us on social, reach out to us, like Will said, on, on an email and uh, let us know uh, what you like, what you want to hear more of and leave that five stars. We would really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And we will see you on the next episode.